Well, hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Jennifer Villock, and I will be your host today. You are listening to the AAOA podcast. This session is a non-promotional, non-CME, disease state educational podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Otolaryngic Allergy in collaboration with and paid for by GSK. Because this is a disease state podcast, we cannot mention any specific medications, generic or otherwise. At most, we may refer to some general mechanisms of pathophysiology and disease states. So with that, um, today we are very lucky to be joined by Dr. Christine Francis, and we will be discussing quality of life issues that are experienced by patients with chronic rhinosinusitis, both with and without polyps. And we're going to ask her a bunch of questions about what she most frequently sees in her practice and how she specifically addresses the quality of life burden within her practice. So Dr. Francis, we'd love to start off if you could just kind of give us a general overview of how quality of life for your patients with chronic rhinosinusitis, both with and without nasal polyposis, is adversely impacted. Thank you so much for having me. Um talk to you about this today because I think these quality of life issues really are underappreciated by otolaryngologists when we think about the impact it has. So when you take chronic rhinosinusitis as a whole, the both phenotypes, the with polyps and without polyps, it has a larger impact on patients' lives beyond the four cardinal symptoms that we think about. And we go to the extranasal um, impact, if you will, it has a big impact just on sleep, on work, on work, both absenteeism when people feel really bad, as well as presenteeism, um, as well as uh, social isolation, physical and mental health, and social functioning, uh, to name a few, whether it's related to occupation or just, you know, private social events, things like that. This, this has a, a wide ranging, you know, impact, which I think we can dig into deeper. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any in particular, you know, that you'd like to comment on now that you feel are particularly underappreciated or perhaps that make up a huge component of the quality of life burden, but that aren't necessarily on, you know, the top of the, the list of things that we're asking about in our clinic. Yeah. So I, I think it's been top of everybody's mind with a pandemic loss of sense of smell and taste or alterations in sense of smell or taste. That is something we're very familiar with, with uh, COVID-19, but it's also one of the diagnostic criteria for chronic rhinosinusitis with or without polyps. That symptom though, I think is really underappreciated. So if you've never lost your sense of smell or taste or had it altered in any way, we kind of forget how big an impact it is because it's you know, not, not your vision or your hearing. It's sort of an underappreciated sense. Um, for example, I have some uh, restaurant workers, some chefs that are in my practice who suffer from chronic rhinosinusitis without polyps. And when they have flare up, like it makes it a big deal to try to work and flavor their dishes. Another example, I have a patient in my practice who's the chief of engineering, and he suffers from chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. And prior to treatment, he his job was to go around and smell gas leaks. 
and he wasn't able to do it. He would have to bring an underling with him uh, to be his sniffer, if you will, so that he could just do his job. Another thing I don't think we appreciate very much is the impact it has on sleep and fatigue. If you can't breathe through your nose comfortably and naturally, it really disrupts your sleep cycle. And I don't think we appreciate how big an impact that has on patients. And then when we get into a sort of the extremes of things, if you have chronic rhinositis with nasal polyps, you can have some fairly large bulky uh, polypoid tissue in your nose that will obstruct your nasal cavity. And um, it can be to the point where you have difficulty breathing through your nose, even just while you're eating. So I've had some patients with extremely large polyps where just going out to social functions or out to a restaurant was something that they avoided because of the embarrassment that they they couldn't eat with their, their mouth closed. It was a struggle. So I think those things, we really don't appreciate the larger impact they have on patients' lives. Absolutely. I always think about when I have an acute sinus infection and how after, you know, like four days, I'm like, somebody has helped me do surgery on me. (laughs) And of course, I'm never doing the things that I recommend to my patients. We're all non-compliant patients. And and I, I had COVID this year and... I never really had much of a sense of smell to begin with, but afterwards, like, and still now my teeth taste like metal and it's weird to, you know, until you have something like that happen to you, you don't really appreciate the impact it has on your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, it definitely gives me newfound respect for my patients. You know, those experiences, especially those that have been suffering for a long time, since I can only survive like four days with an acute sinus infection. And and many of them, this has been an ongoing issue for quite a while. So I'd love if you could comment just on if you notice any different quality of life burdens for your patients in terms of those that are more newly diagnosed with CRS versus those that have um, had a longer duration of disease. So while they seem to have the same characteristics, I I think as far as the length of time, it depends on how long it's been because chronic rhinosinusitis patients with and without polyps who have had this disease longer become adjusted to a skewed perception of normal. Um, Whereas those that have not suffered with it for as long are probably more likely to give you more detailed complaints. They're more likely to complain about difficulty breathing through their nose with any kind of congestion, facial pain and pressure, headaches, other symptoms like that. Whereas if you've had this for a long time, whether you've had it treated or not, you start to become adjusted to a certain amount of severity that a normal person wouldn't tolerate just because you've lived with it for so long. And I've had patients in my own practice who've had such severe congestion from chronic rhinosinusitis without polyps and even with polyps that have told me, well, normal people can't breathe through their your nose. Well, that's not correct. Normal people actually can breathe through their nose. It's just the uh, many of these patients, because of the severity of disease and how long they've lived with it, become used to that type of feeling. And for them, not feeling congested is very different from a normal person not feeling congested. They're willing to tolerate a lot 
more severity in their symptoms, which is why, like, if you're able to do quality of life scores in your clinic, whether it be SNOT 22 or a visual analog scale, it can be very helpful because people that have had this disease for a long time, it's not that they're, they're not reporting it. It's not that they don't feel it. It's just that they're used to it and that's their normal. And do you find then that using those quality of life instruments, are those helpful as they guide your you know, not only your counseling of the patient, but also your diagnostic and therapeutic considerations? Yes, I do use the SNOTS 22 score in my clinic and occasionally I'll use some visual analog scales. And if you're not familiar with that, that's like a one to 10 uh, scale where the patient rates where they are in severity. And I do find they're helpful both in diagnostic and in treatment, because particularly if you've had success with treatment, people get used to that skewed perception of normal. And sometimes they forget how bad they were. And so you're able to look back and show them, okay, at this point in time, this is where you scored and here's where we are now, or it's helpful to keep track if there's any um, worsening of the condition where, you know, originally you're doing great, but all of a sudden this has gotten worse. I do feel it's very helpful to keep track of a patient's uh, symptom scores to see how they're doing, how they're, what progress they're being made, if you're making any progress. And I think it's a nice visual reminder for the patient to like how far they've come. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And I, I echo your sentiments that really the disease specific patient reported outcome measures, I think are much more helpful than, you know, the generic review of systems that might be embedded um, just into the, your electronic health record for really yes. asking the questions that mean the most for that specific um, disease pathology. Yeah, I, I agree with these scales that are really designed to catch the quality of life symptoms that are most concerning to patients and including the extra nasal ones like the daytime fatigue and sleepiness, things like that. Yeah. You know, in addition to really understanding the burden of the disease on our patients, you know, I think we can't engage in truly shared decision-making with our patients without really understanding that perspective. I would love to hear a little bit more about your approach to really sharing in the decision-making process with your patients, you know, both those with nasal polyps and without, and kind of what that looks like when you're going through all the different options that they have and what they can expect. So shared decision-making is extremely important in these patients because they may have different goals and values from what we do. And certainly like we're on the, in this together where you and your patient are a team and everybody wants the patient to get better, but they may have different ideas. There may be things that bother them more than, than I feel. And they may have um, different desires as far as what types of treatments they want to pursue kind of what's on the table and what's off the table. So I think the first step is acknowledge and appreciate the differences in um, what you think the symptoms are should be focused on what the patient thinks. And there was a good poster uh, by Benson et al. that was presented at the Quad AI in 2020 about the mismatch between, you know, what physicians documented and the, what the patients felt their symptoms were and the severity of those symptoms. And, you know, the, the fact that while there was high uh, agreement in some symptoms, there were a lot of symptoms where the patients were just the patient and the physician was not on the same page. 
So I think it's really important to sit down and kind of discuss with a patient what symptoms really bother them most, because I may think like, okay, if you have chronic rhinosinusitis, it must be this, you know, congestion that's bothering you. And for them, it may be the amount of post-nasal drainage or their lack of sense of smell or their difficulty sleeping. So getting to the root of which which symptoms bother them the most can really help. And then walking through the different options with the patients, different medical therapies, whether there's any operative procedures, what, what other things like getting to the patient's values and their core beliefs about what we can do together as a team. Um, and then of course, there's always that like third party sitting in there called insurance coverage, which is also part of the shared decision-making, which whether we like it or not. So I actually have um, helpers in my office, uh, pharmacists and other technicians that kind of discuss with the patient and myself, like we want to go this way with our treatment plan, but there may be roadblocks and obstacles we need to get around. So, so how do we work together to achieve this? And I think on the whole, talking to your patient about what symptoms they would like to address what I would like for their treatment goals and like arriving in a mutually agreed position on what we're going to do is the most helpful because really compliance is a big part of this and you need patient buy-in for compliance. And if you are going to go down a treatment course that the patient just does not want to go down, it's not, it's just not going to work. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. And I think you know, your response there really underscores everything that we've been talking about today, you know, from using ways of assessing the quality of life impacts that are having the biggest uh, negative impact on our patients beyond just the rhinologic manifestations and making sure that we carry that forward into our counseling so that we can identify patient priorities and also you know, treatment options and associated expectations for how they can feel in, in the future if they can adhere to the therapy and if those are things are successful. Just wondering if you had any other thoughts as we come to a close here. My final thought is to really let the patient help guide you. Um, so for example, if you think about chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps, I had a patient that I was treating and before I put an endoscope in his nose, he told me he felt amazing. He told me he didn't need to be scoped because all of his polyps were gone. He could smell birch trees. He could do all this. And I, I still convinced him like, well, please let me just take a look. And he actually had um, probably what polyps beyond the middle turbinate. I was sort of surprised, but he felt wonderful. He could smell, he was sleeping great. And I have talked this patient over with other physicians and they were like, well, why didn't you proceed with further treatment? And I, I didn't, because the patient was happy, like he wasn't having any symptoms. So we have to remember, like, we may look in their nose and feel a certain way. Like we want to chase treatment things, but let the patient guide you because if the patient is happy, if they're not having symptoms, that's what we should treat. And I've had physicians tell me, well, oh no, no, you can make the patient even better. I disagree. I think your patients, they don't always lie to you. Like I think if they tell you they feel pretty good, you, you should go with that. And um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, I love that as our closing thought, Dr. Francis. So this has been an AAOA podcast, and it was a non-promotional, non-CME disease state educational podcast 
brought to you by the American Academy of Otolaryngic Allergy in collaboration with and paid for by GSK. So thank you to everyone listening. And again, a special thanks to Dr. Francis.